missionaries while they're in town here in a couple of months, or rather in a couple of weeks. Numbers chapter 11, let's stand for the reading of God's word, and we'll be reading from verse 4 down through verse 7. The Bible says, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. And the manna was as coriander seed and the color thereof as the color of bdellium. The title of the message this evening out of the book of Numbers is Manna Again Manna again, let's pray. Heavenly Father, tonight I pray that you would uh, uh, meet here with us. And Lord, I pray that you would hide me in uh, selfish thoughts, selfish motives, uh, anything in me that would be inappropriate or wrong. Lord, would you, would you hide that behind the cross? And Lord, would your Holy Spirit speak through me? And God, we, uh, we need to hear from you tonight. And so, Lord, I pray that um, the Word of God would be valued in our eyes as we hold it in our hands. We think of those people that got their first Bible. And, Lord, how much they probably value that. I pray we value our Bible. Lord, we wouldn't just value pages and ink and, and a leather bind, but, Lord, we, we would value the truths inside the Bible and we'd apply them to our lives. And, God, I pray tonight that the Word of God would make sense, would be relevant, and would help us as we... Uh, take it and leave this place and just here in just a little bit. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. You might wonder, those of you who are diligent, you might wonder what happened to the book of Leviticus. We finished up. How many of you were wondering? I'm curious. Anybody? Oh, John's on it. Linda's on it over there. We finished up Exodus, uh, I believe it was last Wednesday. The message out of Leviticus is one of these staple foundation sermons that I want the whole church to hear. It's one of these sermons that uh, is a very strong philosophy of mine. And so I have bumped that from a Wednesday night to a Sunday night. And so I'll be preaching about the book of Leviticus from a bird's eye view. Uh, and you might think the book of Leviticus, isn't that just sacrifices and animals and all that stuff? It is, but it's more than that. And I'll give you a little preview right now. The Levites led the Israelites in worship. That was their job. How does God want us to worship here at church? What role does worship play in church? Um, so you'll want to be here Sunday night. Is that too long of a tease to wait all the way till Sunday night to hear that? How many of you want me to preach it right now? I don't have those notes with me. They're up in my office. But come Sunday night and we'll give you that. So uh, with pushing Leviticus to Sunday night, we're going to look at Numbers Tonight, And we're walking through the Bible uh, about a book a week, looking at the books from a bird's eye view and trying to get an understanding of what they uh, say and, and uh, what the general theme of the book is and how it applies to us today. Uh, the book of Numbers receives its name because God had Moses take a census of the people twice throughout the pages of uh, the book and uh, one there at the beginning in the, fir- in the first three verses of the book, God commands Moses to 
number the people. And then again, almost 40 years later, right before Moses would go on home to heaven, God uh, gives the same command, and that's in chapter 26, verses 1, two, so the, 1 and 2. So the first three verses of the Bible, God commands Moses to take a census, and then chapters 26, verses 1 and 2, he commands him to take a census again. And let me just say up front that numbers matter to God. Numbers matter to God. Now, why do numbers matter to God? Because uh, I believe that God believes in order. He wants there to be an order to things. Uh, when you know, uh, when you have a census of a country, that shows some organization and some order. And we know that God is a God of order. And we need to be people that are orderly. When I give advice out in parenting, I tell, I tell parents all the time, you need to have order in your home. If your home is orderly, it is a place of rest. And then when your children act out of order, they cause disrest, and there is a natural longing for rest to be restored. Rest to be restored. God is a God of order, but when we're not doing things in the order that God wants us to do, then there's all of this unrest in our life, and then we've got to go back to doing it God's way so that order will be restored. So God had Moses number the people for the very sake of showing and representing that God pays attention to details and God is a God of order. The theme of the book of Numbers is the carnality of God's people. God wanted his people to have a spirit of contentment. God's people instead uh, gave God a spirit of complaining. He wanted them to have a spirit of contentment. They showed a spirit of complaining. Oftentimes, when I read through the book of Numbers, I find myself flabbergasted with the Israelites. How could these people see God work in so many real ways and still complain about everything? Everything. Um, you know, you give them a glass of water and, well, it it's not bottled water. It's not bottled water. You... Um, you know, you, you give them all these wonderful things and they find something to complain about. Let me just list off some things for you here as we go over the book of uh, Numbers. And I know I've used some of this in, in prior sermons, but for the sake of going through the book of Numbers, it's important that we get this out here. They witness, the Israelites, these people, these complainers, they witness the Red Sea part. That miracle in and of itself, wow, maybe the greatest uh, uh, most visual miracle there was in the Bible. They watched the Red Sea part. They watched the bitter waters of Mara made sweet. They watched food drop out of heaven to them daily. Uh, they watched a river of water come pouring out of the driest rock on earth, the Flint Rock, twice. Not just a little stream. A river in order to supply water for the several million of them and their animals. That was quite the river of water. Their clothes grew with them and never wore out. God gave them a cloud to provide them shade during the day. And then that cloud turned into fire at night to keep them warm as they traveled through the desert. But maybe the biggest thing they received from God was freedom from Egyptian slavery. Whip on the back, cracking over their back every day, cracking over their back. And now they had their freedom. 
they have their freedom. You know, I, I stand in awe when I read the book of Numbers about how they chose to complain. But then I'm reminded that I struggle with the exact same thing. How many are with me on that? Complain, complain, complain. Complaining is not brought about as a result of not having enough things. Rather, complaining is brought about as a result of our sinful nature. doesn't matter how much good you have. doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. It doesn't matter what kind of house you live in. It doesn't matter what neighborhood you live in. It doesn't matter dream job or no dream job. It doesn't matter uh, where you go grocery shopping. It doesn't matter. We complain because we're sinful. We complain because it's in our sinful nature to do so. You step back and you say, Hey, Jews! You have it so good. You have a God that is part of the Red Sea. He's done all these miracles for you. He's given you your freedom. Why is it that you keep keep complaining? And the answer is because they are sinners. They're sinners. And they let their sinful nature get the best of them. You and I, no matter how good we have it, will be tempted to do the same thing. Let me say tonight that I believe that if you and I would be able to accept the goodness of God in our lives, then we would be able to put away complaining. And we would be able to be content with such things as we have. Content with such things as we have. If we can get to a place where we have a proper perspective on the goodness of God in our lives, complaining just falls by the wayside. But we complain when we lose perspective on how good God really is to us. Tonight, uh, if you have a prayer uh, request, prayer bulletin there on the back, you'll find the outline with a fill in the blank. And let me encourage you to take a pen and take notes and fill in the blanks as we go here. We're going to run through six observations of the children of Israel as it is told, as the story, the narrative is given to us here out of the book of Numbers. Number one, notice the crossroad they faced. The crossroad they faced. Turn with me over to Numbers chapter 13 and look at verse 1 and 2 with me tonight. Numbers 13, 1 and 2. The Bible says there, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel of every tribe of their father, shall you send a man, every one, a ruler among them. So Moses was ordered to go throughout the twelve tribes and to select the best men, the, the leader of each tribe, and to collectively take these twelve men and to send them out to spy out the land. They were to go spy out the land. I mentioned here recently in a sermon, but I'll say it again here, is that they were not sent to go observe the giants or the people of the land. They were sent to look at the land. It was a survey trip for how they would conquer, not whether or not they would conquer. It was a survey trip of how they were going to win, not if they were going to win. No doubt Moses selected the most spiritual men in each tribe. The most spiritual man out of each tribe. Just shows you the state of the country. Look down at verse 30. The Bible says in verse 30, And Caleb still, now, now just backstory here, they go in, 
They survey. They're there a whole lot. They're there 40 days. They weren't supposed to be there that long. They're there 40 days. They come out. There's a stir amongst the people. They're excited about what these 12 men are going to tell them. Nervous energy in the crowd. As I said in a sermon a few months back, uh, you had 10 of them probably over here on one rock, uh, uh, elevated above the people, and then Caleb and Joshua and Moses over on the other rock. Uh, uh, and, 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 and there's this back and forth we find in verse 30. The Bible says, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched upon unto the children of Israel, saying, The land though through which we have gone to search it is the land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. Remember, they weren't commanded to go look at the men. They were commanded to go look at the land. Verse 33, And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Uh, when I was a boy, we were taught a song in junior church that went this way. Twelve men went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. What do you think they saw in Canaan? Ten were bad and two were good. Some saw giants big and tall. Some saw grapes of clusters long. Some saw God was in it all. Ten were bad and two were good. How many of you ever heard that before? How many of you didn't know your pastor would sing? Amen? That was, that was pathetic. Here they are. Standing at a crossroads there at Kadesh Barnea, Kadesh Barnea, getting ready to go over, but ten men said, "We can't do it. We can't do it." You've probably heard the phrase, "You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink." Moses, God had sent Moses. First, God had taken Moses out of the river, allowed him to be raised in Pharaoh's home. Sent him into the backside of the desert there with Jethro to be retrained as a shepherd instead of a king. Sent shepherd Moses to lead the sheep of Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And here God has now led them through the Red Sea, past the bitter waters of Mara, past all these enemies, even allowed them to have some victories along the way against some of their enemies. Gets them to the border, leads the horse to water, but can't make him drink. The crossroad, the crossroad they faced. Will we go in and capture, or will we say no? Let me just make a quick application here, and I gotta be quick. A quick, quick application here is that God, salvation is available to everyone, but you must choose to receive it. God offers the gift of salvation freely, but He can't make you take it, and He won't make you take it. How could a loving God send somebody to hell? God doesn't send anybody to hell. People go to hell when they choose not to accept the gift of eternal life. Another quick application. Going over into uh, into the promised land did not represent salvation. That was leaving Egypt. Rather, it represented the victorious Christian life. God cannot make you live a victorious Christian life. You have got to choose that that's what you want. So they're sitting here, they're saved from Egypt, from slavery, from sin, the land of sin. But they're going to choose, what are they going to choose, to live in carnality or to live victoriously? Number two, we see the choice they made. How many of you here anticipate the blank? You try to fill it in before I announce it. Anybody here do that? 
Anybody guess that one already? The choice they made, that was pretty obvious. How many think you're pretty good at that, by the way? Anybody? All right, the choice they made. Look at Numbers chapter 14, and we're going to read verse 1 down through verse 5. One of these days I'm going to have a fully alliterated sermon. I'm going to leave one blank unalliterated just to throw you off. Amen. Numbers 14, look, at, look, look with me at verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice. So the leaders have spoken. Uh, ten, ten of them said, we can't do it. Joshua and Caleb said, and Moses said, oh, we can do it. And now it's the people's t- turn to choose what they're going to do. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God that we had died in this wilderness... And wherefore hath the Lord brought us uh, unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be, be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Why did these people make such a poor choice? Let me give you three reasons. Letter A, notice first, self-dependence. Self-dependence. Look back at verse 31 of Numbers chapter 13. It says there, But the men that went up with them said, Read the next four words out loud together with me. Ready? We be not able. Again, ready? We, we be not able. To this, I would have liked to ask them just one question. They may be stronger than you. But those sons of Anak over there, are they stronger than your God? They may be stronger than you, but are they stronger than your God? Can they create a walkway in the sea? Can they magically turn bitter water sweet? Can they create an air conditioning heating system in the middle of a desert? Can they cause water to pour out of a flint rock? Furthermore, can your God-hating heathen enemies create life? Can your God-hating enemies make everything out of nothing? Can they be omnipotent? Can they be omnipresent? Can they be omniscient? And the answer, obviously, to all those is no! No, they can't! These enemies of yours that you, where you say, we be not able. No, you're not able, but you have a God that can. What the Israel's, what the Israelis lacked was an ability to take their eyes off of themselves and focus them on their God. Let me ask you a question tonight. Are you filled with anxiety over a problem in your life right now? Don't answer out loud. Just think about that in your mind. Are you filled with anxiety over a problem in your life right now? Maybe you need to take your eyes off of you and your abilities. You need to put your eyes on God and His abilities. Because it's never really been about you anyway. You say, but if I don't do this and I don't do that and I don't go here and I don't go there. Listen. You do your part, but you've got to trust in God. You've got to put your reliance on Him to bring it to pass. They're looking up and they're saying, well, 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 well it's, 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 it's up to us to, to, to go, go over the, 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 the fight. 
And I'd say, yes, it is up to you to go over there and fight, but it's up to God to give you the victory. You look at them and say, well, I don't see God. You know, a pastor gets up and he says, every week I tell you, you need to trust in God. And you think, but I can't see God. We up, stand up and we sing the song, my hope is in the Lord. And then you sit, close the hymn book and sit down and you go, but I can't see the Lord. And I'm here to tell you that although we cannot see him, we believe in him. And I'm here to tell you today that you need to stop trusting in your abilities and start trusting in his abilities. Why was it that the Israelites made the wrong choice? Well, self-dependence. Letter B, we see skeptical leadership. Look at uh, verse 32 of Numbers 13. Speaking of their leaders, and they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. No doubt, again, no doubt Moses went through and he chose the most spiritual men that he could find. Even of the most faith-filled spies that Israel had, only two of them had their heart in the right place. Only two. Let me say this evening is that if you hold a position of leadership in any area in your life, then those that follow you need to know that you fully trust God to get you through the hard times. I can remember times in my uh, in my life as a married man, as a as a husband and a father, where I was scared out of my mind on how things were going to work out. No money, no place to go at times, no place to live. But I'd get alone and I'd pray and talk to the Lord. And while my wife maybe could read some anxiety in my face. There was a tone of confidence in the Lord on my, on, my, on, my, on my words coming out of my mouth. Tonight I tell you this. If you're like that father who had that boy throw himself in the, father, in the fire, was demon possessed. God said to him, where's your faith? And he said, I believe, help thou my unbelief. May that be our prayer. Don't be skeptical of God. Don't be skeptical of what he's doing in your life. Listen, that shows a lot of immaturity in the Lord when you go through life and you say, well, well, God, why are you allowing this? And God, why are you allowing that? And I can't believe you let this happen. And I can't believe you let that happen. And let me just remind you that we are teeny, tiny, finite creatures. And God is an infinite, powerful God. And we have no right to question God. Don't be skeptical of your God. The Israelites would have probably charged forward victoriously if their leaders had led them to do so. In fact, as you read through the kings and the chronicles, what you find is where they had a godly king, the people did right. And where they had a wicked and evil king, the people did wrong. When the king got rid of the high places and the groves and the Baal worship, the people got rid of the high places and the groves and the Baal worship. But when the king elevated all that, what happened? So did the people. And I'm here today to tell you that if you're a leader in any way, don't be skeptical of your leader. Don't be skeptical of God. Letter C, what caused them to make the wrong choice? Well, we saw self-dependence. Letter B, we saw skeptical leadership. Letter C, we see sinful baggage. Look down with me at Numbers chapter 14 
again in verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God that we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land uh, to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. Egypt represents the unsaved life. You remember a couple of Sunday nights ago where I had the men stand across the front? And I believe, Eric, you, you were Egypt, right? You want me to do that to you again? No, I'll do that to you again. Uh, uh, and Egypt represents the, where, where lost people live. And then we see, they crossed through the Red Sea. That represented salvation. And then the desert represented the carnal life. And then crossing over into the promised land represented the victorious Christian life. And what had happened was they had gotten saved. They had left Egypt and came through the Red Sea. They had crossed the, the desert. They had gotten there to a place of victory. And then when they got there right where they were about to be victorious, they said, oh, we be not able. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. The Israelites would have rather gone back into slavery than to trust God for victory. Wow! They would have rather gone back to being slaves than to live over here in victory. Because victory was hard work. Victory caused them to depend on something and somebody other than themselves. Christians, you must deal with the baggage that sin has given you. You've got to deal with it. How many of you uh, here tonight, you got saved out of kind of a rough past? Can I see your hand? You got saved out of a rough past. Listen, if you're not careful, you'll bring some of that past with you, and it will taint your Christian life. It will slow you down. At some point, you've got to turn to the Lord, and you've got to say, I need to lay down this baggage so that I can be more effective as a Christian for you. Why was it that the Israelites didn't trust Moses? Why was it that the Israelites didn't trust God? Uh, was it that God was, was it that God wasn't capable? Clearly he was. It was because they couldn't get past the baggage and the hurt that they carried from their past. And I'm here to tell you that we have got to lay that aside. We've got to lay those things aside. You know, for many of you here, what's keeping you, and I hope you're listening really close right here. Many of you here, what's keeping you from taking that next step in your Christian life is that there's that sin that sinful habit that you just haven't been able to cut off and leave behind. You, you were doing it when you got saved, and you grew early on in your Christian life to a point, but now you've hit a climax. And until you set that sin to the side, you won't be able to go any higher. And my friend, I'm here to tell you that if you'll set it to the side, it is better to live in victory than slavery. Better to live in victory than slavery. Whether it's a lust of the eyes, a lust of the flesh, or a pride of life, we've got to take those things and we've got to cut them off. Number three, we see the chagrin God felt. The chagrin God felt. Look down at Numbers chapter 14 and verse 10. Not only were the Israelites upset that they uh, had been brought to this place of giants, they Turn and they turned on their leaders, but all the congregation bade, stoned them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. 
So they'll start murmuring and complaining. You know how this works, right? You ever dealt with someone who murmurs and complains? They start out complaining like this, and then their complaining grows, and their temper takes it up and up and up. And first, they're sanely arguing, and then it gets to a level where they're, they're just no longer uh, thinking soberly. They're no longer thinking straight. Their ideas get more and more radical. The more they get worked up into a froth, the more upset they get, the more angry they get, the more radical their ideas become. And first it was, I can't believe we were led out in the middle of this desert to eat this manna. I can't believe we were led out here to do this. And, 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 and I can't, let, let's choose a leader and let's go back. And someone says, hey, wait a minute. What are we going to do with Moses and Aaron? Let's stone them. They were ready to stone them. Now, let me just say tonight, you don't mess with God's man when God's man's in the right. And I don't say that in defense of me because, listen, I haven't had any issue with that here. Praise the Lord. You don't mess with God's man when God's man is doing what, God's, what God has commanded him to do. God, God's men were standing there trying to get them to do what was right. And the people revolted on them. Whew, that's a dangerous place to be. The presence of God came down in the tabernacle and immediately all that talk stopped. Look down at verse 26, Numbers 14. The Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron saying, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur with me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. God had had enough. God was up to here with the complaining. The Bible tells us that God is a God of mercy and long-suffering, but the Israelites were wearing God out. They were wearing Him thin. I do believe that we can learn a lot about the character of God from this story. God could see that this generation of people, they were never going to change. God knew that ever, even before, uh, they, they got to this point. When they had proven that to themselves, God decided that he would take privileges away from them. Now, I find this fascinating, okay? Let's stop back and look at this from an intellectual standpoint. Can I engage you intellectually tonight? Are you awake? Amen? You might have to sit up and straight and listen on purpose. I like to try to keep it practical and entertain you, but this might be uh, something where you have to listen on purpose here. God knew from the outgo what they were going to do when they got there. Right? God knew he was going to get them out of Egypt, walk them across the desert, he was going to send the spies. The spies were going to go in. They were going to be in there too long. They were going to come out. They were going to say, we can't do it. The people were going to murmur and complain. They were going to threaten Moses. And God knew he was going to have to go down and save Moses and Aaron's skin. So, with that in mind, why did God get so emotional? A couple of things I want to engage you with here. First of all, that even though God knew they were going to disqualify themselves, He still let them disqualify themselves. There are many people that believe that uh, God picks and chooses who goes to heaven and hell. We call those people, uh, that, well, they're, they're self-called or self-titled Calvinists. And I would say that God does not choose to send anyone to hell. Just like God did not choose for them to wander, he did not uh, uh, choose ahead of time for them to wander around the wilderness and die. No, no, no. He let them walk themselves across and he let them reject the option. And then, at that point, after they had made a free will choice, they then wandered and died. The same thing's true with our eternality. It's up, left up to us. God already knows how the decision's going to be made in the end. 
but he still leaves it up to us. The second thing I'd point out is that God, um, while he can step out and look at things from a macro standpoint, we know that God loves us so much. He's so intimately involved in our lives and our hearts that when we make the wrong decision, even though he knew from the beginning of time we'd make that decision, he still is emotionally involved when we do it. And when that is true when we make the right decisions, and that is true when we make the wrong decisions. God was very, very, very disappointed in his people for rejecting his plan. Number four, we see the consequences they suffered. Numbers 14, 19 through 23, explain that God would, uh, and for sake of time tonight, we're not going to uh, be able to read every passage, but uh, we see that God would uh, strip them away from their right to entering the promised land, that they would be forced to wander for 40 years until everyone 20 and, and, and older would die so that those of, of the younger age could rise up and could be the ones to go in and take the land of Canaan. 28 through 33, you find that uh, age from 20 years old and upward, uh, verse 29 tells us, which have murmured against me. The 20 and older would die, the 19 and younger would get to live, and they would be the ones that would one day take. And they disqualified them, excuse me, they disqualified themselves because of their murmuring and complaining and their inability to trust. Tonight I would say this, do not allow your lack of faith to disqualify you from seeing God do Great and wonderful and mighty things. Can I tell you tonight that God wants to use White Oak Baptist Church to do incredible things in this community. He wants to see us reach souls with the gospel and to see people get saved. And He wants us to use this church to see families get mended. And He wants this church to see children raised in wholesome and godly environments. He wants to see this church reach out in the community and help those that are trying to find their way early on in their adult life. He wants to see the older folks who are in the fourth quarter of life come into this church and know there's a wholesome place for them to be. God wants to use this church but this church must be filled with people that believe that God can do it and are willing to act accordingly. Listen, I didn't come here to pastor a church that would occupy till Jesus comes. We're not just sitting on our blessed assurance waiting for Jesus to return and just occupying. No, no, no. I'm here to lead a church that is going to attack hell with a squirt gun. we got to be people who are people of the book and believe that God... The, the God who is powerful enough to save you from your sins is a God powerful enough to save your neighbor from their sins as well. I don't want to be condemned to a life that is empty and void of God doing wonderful things because I am faithless. Number five, we see the complaints they offered. Look at Numbers chapter 11 with me quickly, verse 1. And really, it comes back to the thrust of the sermon, the last two points here. When the people complained... When the people complained, notice this, it displeased the Lord. If you make a habit of underlining things in your Bible, would you underline the beginning of verse 1 there? And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. If there's one thing I want you to take from the message tonight is God hates complaining. He hates it. It displeases the Lord. And when the people complained... It displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burnt among them, 
and consumed them that were in the uttermost part of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and Moses prayed unto the Lord, and the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Tabera, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. How upset did this make God? He sent fire out of heaven that chased people around and burnt them alive because of their complaining. Complaining displeases the Lord. We see the end of this story in verses 31 uh, through 34, how that, uh, where we started tonight about them complaining about not uh, the manna and the flesh, and God sent the quail through and made them eat until it literally uh, uh, came out of their nostrils. Be careful what you complain about. God can take that thing that you want so bad and make your life absolutely miserable for it. I've seen people complain because they just never can get ahead in life financially. And then money turn around and ruin their lives. You be careful what you complain about. Number six, we see the contentment God desires. The contentment God desires. What did God want out of the Israelites? He wanted them to walk up to the land and say, you know what, Moses? You are God's man. If this is what you're telling us that God wants us to do, then forward march. Here we go. Here we go. By the way, they didn't just have to listen to Moses. This wasn't just a blind trust. They had, they had the, the stories. If you know anything about Jewish people, even today Jewish people are, are very traditional. They hold on to traditions that are thousands of years old. They knew the story about Abraham leaving uh, 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 his hometown and, and traveling across to that very area. They knew how that Isaac and Jacob being changed to Israel. They knew their heritage. They knew that this was to be their land. Not just because Moses was telling them, but because their mother had told them and their grandmother had told them. And this was passed down from generation to generation. When the pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a Christian leader in your life or a husband at home, father at home, stands up and says, Thus saith the Lord from the word of God, Oh, you need to follow because the leader's leading that way, but you need to follow because it's written right here in the word. You need to be content. Content. We're going to look at this on Sunday in the morning, but Philippians 4.11 says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. By the way, the book of Philippians was a, uh, a prison epistle written from a dungeon cell. Not a state-of-the-art prison facility in the U.S., amen? I have learned in whatsoever state I am in therewith to be content. First Timothy 6.6, 6, instruction to Pastor Timothy. But godliness with contentment. Great gain. Godliness, contentment, great gain. Verse 8 of that same chapter, and having food and raiment, let us be therefore content. I'll finish with this statement. As Americans living in 2017, we qualify as being inside of the top 2% of the richest people ever to live. So, just, just think about that for a minute. Not, not just today, ever to live. Ever to live. Kings from centuries ago never enjoyed the most basic necessities that many poverty level people enjoy here in the good old U.S. of A. But yet we complain just as much now as they did then. Why? And like I said in the introduction, because complaining is a condition of the heart. 
Worrying is a condition of the heart. Tonight, let me just encourage you to put complaining to rest. Listen, I've got room for improvement in this area. I catch myself complaining sometimes, and I've got to put on the brakes and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm going to challenge you tonight. Everybody listen. I'm going to challenge you to go from right now until Bible study next Wednesday night without complaining one time. You think you can do it? A whole week, no complaining. I'm going to try to do it. Let's see if you can do it. Let's see if we can do it together. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening.